0: Hello and welcome to this episode of Superhero Ethics. Fans, as you know, I love superheroes not just because the fight scenes are fun or the great outfits. That can be fun. But what I love is the mental, ethical, psychological questions that are raised by asking, what happens in a world of superheroes? Well, My personal favorite thing to do on this podcast is to get much smarter people on who've done even more thinking about these questions than I have and get to talk to them. And uh, I have today a real treat. Uh, Two authors who are both therapists and have written or have together edited a book called Soups Ain't Always Heroes uh, with a particular focus on the TV show The Boys. Uh, And we're going to be talking with both of them about it. And so let me just start by letting the two of them introduce themselves. Uh, Lynn, why don't you go first?
1: Hi, I'm Dr. Lindsay Burnus. I'm a clinical psychologist and a professor at Westchester University. And my main area of research is actually the psychology of being a fan. So I've done Mm -hmm. a lot of research on why that's really a good thing for a lot of us in many ways. And I've written a bunch of books on my favorite shows uh, that I'm a fan of, many on Supernatural, and most recently this one on The Boys. I, I notice
0: a common theme between those two of uh, Mr. Jensen Eccles that we'll be discussing quite a bit today. Um, and uh, Dr. Schneider, how about yourself? Matthew.
2: Yeah. Hi. Uh, my name's is uh, Dr. Matt Schneider. I am a professor at Westchester University as well um, and also um, have a private practice where um, I have a therapy group that I work with. Um, and uh, I think what kind of drew me to this besides, you know, Lynn grabbing me, kicking and screaming, <laughs> um, was the fact that I just started watching The Boys after she said, you have to watch this. And just the, the common human themes, the the, the human dilemmas, um, really spoke to me and, and the depth of the characters. But also, like the the clinical issues that they were going through that you know in a very fantastical way uh, my clients were going through the same things of course they weren't you know flying through buildings and things like that but all the things that I think you know these great characters struggled with um, are are what my clients struggle with on a day to day basis
0: and I love hearing that a a theme we talk about in this podcast all the time is that some of our favorite stories are the ones where either that they are metaphors for what you know is happening in our real life or it's just that they are as you said, kind of like you know, Spider-Man's dealing with you know issues of of familial guilt and abandonment, just in much different ways. Iron Man is constantly dealing with issues with his father and stuff like that. And so let's talk about why the boys. There's so much content out there right now about superheroes and super super powered people because we're talking a lot about what is what makes a hero or not. Why,
1: um, why the boys? I mean, for me, I started watching it actually not because of Jensen Ackles because he wasn't on it yet, but because of Eric Kripke, who is one of my favorite creative minds. I I will give anything Eric Kripke puts his creative touch to a try. Maybe I won't fall in love with it. Maybe I will. In the case of Supernatural and The Boys, I did. Um, I think he is – this is an adapted story, of course, from the comics, graphic novels – But he tends to find the things and want to tell the stories that really draw me in and really speak to me. Supernatural certainly did that. It told a very different story than most other media was telling at the time. And I think The Boys does, too, by looking at superheroes and really dissecting how they are not always heroes at all, lets us look at what it really means to be a superhero, why we as people need to look to heroes, what we get from that, and then ultimately how, in this case, they are also humans struggling with the same things that we're struggling with. So I really felt like The Boys takes a really unique and really unflinching look at real life things that are going on right now that I'm seeing all around me every day and are horrified at by sometimes. And it puts them on my screen in a way that I can say, oh, okay, thank God somebody else sees it, too. You know, it's validating to look at this media and say, "Okay, the things that I'm seeing that I find so horrifying, they're seeing it, too. That feels good to me.
0: Yeah, there was something really interesting to me. I remember watching the show, and I get to a point. I think it's about partway through season one, and realized, oh, the villain is capitalism here, and like that's kind of the focus of season one, and it changes in others. But the idea of you know we've seen different media that explores what would happen in a world where superpowered people were, but this was the mm-hmm. first one. I know it's not just the show; it also goes back to the comic that really sort of posited the not as interesting, uh, you know, not as flashy, but probably much more realistic. The big things that happen is that capitalism would build a machine out of it the way it has with so many
1: other things and and that that would backfire in a million ways as go figure it has with many other things. there's a there's a line in Scott Jordan's chapter that that is you know, looking at who are the villains and exploring all the different villains in the show. And eventually there's a line that says, so who is the real villain in the boys? it's bought. It's the corporation. And I just thought, yeah, that, that really says it all. That's what makes this show really different.
0: I think that's such an interesting point. And I really want to get into this whole question of who is the villain and who is, you know, and how are they presented? Because I think it's a topic that both you both and also some of your authors go back to again and again. But I know the other theme that seems to come up all the time in this, which is, I think mean, deeply linked to the boys, but also to so much of superhero media is, is masculinity and and what kind of images of masculinity we're putting forth. Um, so Matthew, Dr. Snyder, um, and I, Lynn, I, earlier, I apologize. I should also refer to you as uh, Dr. Zubanis. Um, But um, Matthew, what, what is it about this show's approach to masculinity and, and the dangers of it that the dangers of toxic masculinity, but also images of healthy masculinity that really kind of drew you in?
2: Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's such an interesting question. And I, and I think, uh, you know, the boys does such a great job of kind of looking at the backstory. Like, how did people get where they are? Like, how, how did Homelander become the person that he is? And and in that way, um, you know, we may demonize or villainize or, or think of him as a villain. But is he kind of a product of his upbringing, his experience? And and uh, he, you know he didn't have a a mother or a father. He he was kind of like you know grown up in a, in a uh, you know laboratory kind of thing. But the the some of the most interesting kind of concepts around that are like what do we teach our young men and women, or what do we teach specifically our young men about what is right, what is wrong, um, how to get our needs met, and uh, you know how do we care for or care about others. And 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 in kind of my chapter, I talk a lot about like the the. The themes, the the values um, that we kind of instill, um, and and what's shown through the boys, but also in our American culture, is this idea of I come first, you come second. Um, you have to be strong and independent and masculine, and and power is 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 what it's all about. And power uh, kind of equates to privilege, and and other people don't really matter. Other people are kind of there just to get our needs met, um, and and maybe some of it's subtle you know in in kind of the values that are are, are Americanized and, and sometimes it's it's very uh, you know kind of very out there and, and and very realistically portrayed, especially obviously Homelander is kind of the lightning rod. For a lot of this toxic masculinity but also there's you know butcher and and you know um he says a lot of stuff like hey daddy's home you know those kinds of things or or he'll he'll kind of disparage female body parts as being you don't want to be a Mm p-u-s-s-y you know um and and it's funny because then you know you have huey saying well Actually, I don't mind being called that. That's a pretty, you know, strong, realistic, you know, thing. And I don't know why you think that's such a bad thing to be called. But, but that's where kind of toxic masculinity kind of grows
0: from.
1: Right. No, I think that's really interesting, and I, I also really like Matt's chapter for what it says about Yui and his struggle with toxic masculinity oh, yeah. because we all, whether we are identify as male or female or neither, like we all absorb the same messages about what masculinity should be and what it should look like. And Yui's journey is so interesting because he absorbs all of that and he believes all of that. And so he initially sees his dad as not masculine and not doing things the way he should and weak and ineffective. And he really sort of has disdain for his dad in a lot of ways. But then over time, he has that great moment that Matt writes about in his chapter where he sort of has that revelation of, oh, my dad being willing to sit with me and make me Hot Pockets and talk about my feelings after my mom left, like that was masculinity. That was healthy masculinity. That was not weakness. That was yeah. strength and him giving me that strength. So I love Huey's journey. There's a couple chapters specifically on Huey's journey mm-hmm. that talk about his his struggle against that toxic masculinity.
0: Yeah, one thing I hadn't really uh, put together until I read through your book, and, and I forget which one of the authors kind of highlights this, but is that you know, I, there's a lot that's said about how Huey feels. And I use this term because it's the term that's used within toxic masculinity, even though I think it is by definition problematic, but he feels emasculated in some way by the fact that he is dating this woman who is a superhero and can do amazing feats of strength that he cannot. And I remember when I was watching that, you know, I was speaking to, I I am non-binary, but I've been masculine raised and masculine presenting and having some level of identification with that in just insofar as, you know, my partner makes five times the money that I do. And economic strength is often measured almost as high as physical strength in that way. And so identifying mm-hmm. with that, to be sure, um although you know, and you know realizing the the problematicness of all of that, but also that the the story starts with Huey with another partner, his first partner, Robin, who is killed in front of him. and, there is literally nothing he could do it happens instantaneously but still somewhere in that masculine lizard brain there's got to be the thought of i couldn't protect her and now i can't protect starlight and now i can't and just the there's something so brilliant about how that parallel was set up without really he never mm-hmm. says to starlight i couldn't protect robin so i have to protect you but if you really look at it it's definitely there
2: well if you if you continue to take that arc matthew like he gets so Point where he takes Compound V, right? Yeah, right. So like you could see this beautiful arc of him struggling with this, and 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 also like Starlight and 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 even uh, Butcher not wanting Huey to kind of change, right? Into what he became. Um, So there's that great you know scene where they have to kind of save Huey because he's you know uh, beaten up after the asylum attack, and and, uh, you know. Huey keeps saying stuff like, well, the good guy doesn't win. You, you know, you have to kind of be mean. You have to be dirty. You have to, like, you know, fight dirty. And and that's when he decides to take the Compound V. Um, so, you know, Lynn and I talk a lot about this. I'm sure, you, you know, you can kind of share your thoughts, Lynn. But, you know, Butcher gets really upset when mm-hmm. Huey takes the Compound V um, because he, he realizes that Huey is really kind of the – Standing up for what masculine should be, and and you know Butcher feels like he's he's kind of let Huey down and and let him down this dark path.
1: Yeah, there's a one of the chapters in the book refers to Huey as Butcher's canary, which is something that that it is said in the show, and I and I think Butcher really does realize that. Like Huey and Butcher's journey is entwined throughout the show, and a lot of it is about both of their struggle of. Who am I as a man and what do I, what should I have been able to do? Both of them were unable to protect their original partner who happened to be a woman. Both of them that shaped their feelings about who am I if I couldn't do this. They both bought into those toxic masculinity tropes that are out there. And I think taking the compound V, it does feel so pivotal because pivotal because it's almost like if you're taking the compound V, you are embracing what toxic masculinity right. says you should be. You're going to be violent. You're going to be strong. You're going to protect weaker people. That is your purpose as a man when you take it. Yeah. Um, I think it's interesting if, if you parallel that with Kamiko's struggle with compound V. It's, it's not mm-hmm. about toxic masculinity, but the struggle is actually very similar. Do I allow myself to be human and have the vulnerability that comes with being human? Or do I, in some sense, buy into these tropes of violence, the same ones that toxic masculinity talks about, in order to be able to protect people I love, in this case, like Frenchie. So I also love the boys never does anything in a simplistic, overly simplistic way. There's so, so, so much complexity there between gender and power and violence and the intersection of all those things. And I love that it doesn't come to any interesting, uh, simple conclusions about that.
0: Yeah, no, it's very true. And you, you talk in your chapter about the the sort of ending fight of season three between Homelander and and Soldier Boy. And I think you you talked about how I felt and like a lot of, we don't know who to root for. Like who's mm-hmm. who do we want to win? Um, and, and I'm going to get more into villains uh, as you describe them—the kitten murder, ba- the baby murder kittens—which uh, is one of my favorite phrases from the book. But I just want to say, kind of one other thing on the, the toxic masculinity point. In kind of a funny intersection, earlier today I was strolling through TikTok, and there was a, a TikTok that a friend of mine had did had done. Neighborhood Master Alan—he's a, a martial artist with lightsabers. He's made lightsaber. He makes lightsabers and sells them. He's been on this podcast, on my sister podcast, the Star Wars Universe podcast. And someone had put up, you know, a question to be to be stitched of, you know, why do men always have photographs of them with a fish that they caught in their dating profile pictures? And I think it's a good thing to make fun of, and there's all sorts of stuff there. But Alan made this incredible connection that I had never really thought of in that regard, which is that men are taught that we're valued for what we do, not what we are. and And that kind of led to this whole thing that i I, I, I have. By the time this podcast comes out, because we're going to wait till the actor strike is over, maybe a, a couple more weeks or months, but I put, I'm put, i going to probably want to put in a couple of TikToks about this, about how in my own journey, when I started wanting to take more selfies of myself, it was such this mental hurdle to get past because I always have seen my value in what I do, not in just what I are. What? How do you think that plays into all of this? Because as you said, it kind of, Huey, is, Huey can't... Starlight, I remember, tries to tell Huey that he's he's good and a good partner her because of who he is. And he can't hear that. It has to be about what he does.
2: Mm -hmm. Go ahead, Lynn, and then I'll follow you this time. What
1: strikes me about that, too, is I instantly when you talked about those photos of men with the fish they caught, which is, you know, it can be a meme forever because we've Mm -hmm. all seen it so many times. But that's also explicitly saying that one of the roles by which men should define their identity is being a provider. Catching fish is about providing. It's the same reason why, as you said, it can feel really weird if you are not bringing in as much economic support to a family as your partner is if you identify as a man or even if you were just raised as a man amidst these tropes. Mm So I think that's part of it, too. And I think that's part of Yui's struggle also, you know, that he wants to buy into this whole entire narrative that he's absorbed all his life. He wants to be... Successful in some way, however you define that. And you see it in Soldier Boy's struggle too. In my chapter on Soldier Boy, which is very much about toxic masculinity also, his father was very economically successful, very powerful man because of his economic success. And his expectation for his son was that he was going to be successful too not that he was going to be a screw up at school and you know it's insinuated he doesn't do well maybe he was at risk of flunking out so part of ben's original reason for signing up to take compound v was to be more successful that's another piece of this
2: mm-hmm. yeah i mean it's it's so interesting don't forget I'm, I'm blanking on the doctor that um helped uh homelander vocal grow bomb doctor Vogelbaum, thank you. It was on the tip of my tongue. But don't forget, there's that great scene where he talks about teaching Homelander about manifest destiny. Mm-hmm. And and this American concept of, yeah, I can take shit from others because, you know, God said it's okay. So I think that goes right into what you're saying. It, even if you take it a step farther, not only are we kind of defined by w- what we do, but there's kind of this um, – not a god-given right but this is what men are put on the earth to do is to you know grab power and prestige and and build and conquer and take from others and and build from the ground and this whole idea of manifest destiny they, they talk about it very briefly but but it's such a core concept in, in um, toxic masculinity and also the boys and 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 look homelanders willing to like pretty much laser through millions of people to get what he wants. And he thinks it's fine,
1: mm-hmm.
2: right? There's, there's this nihilism uh, along with manifest destiny. I don't care about anybody else, right? I'm going to get my needs met regardless. I'm going to be bigger, faster, stronger. I'm going to have a you know bigger house or I'm going to take from others. And that's actually not bad. That's okay. That's manifest destiny. I'm meant for great things. Right.
0: Yeah, there's a very ends justify the means kind of aspect to it all. That, that is I talk
2: up. about that right. in my chapter, mm. right? At, at what end and at what cost?
0: Right.
1: And there's, so. there's also the piece of that, too. I mean, I love that The Boys makes very explicit and sort of a concrete example of something which is actually really a very abstract thing so that we can actually see it and talk about it. Vogelbaum talks about how initially Homelander, you know, before he was Homelander, as a boy, was very sensitive and very kind. Like he was actually born as someone with personality traits that didn't line up with toxic masculinity and his raising, training, socialization, whatever you want to call it. Purposely and intentionally kind of force that out of him. But that is the same thing that happens in reality. It's not as overt because people aren't locked in labs and only being influenced by one person. But that is the way the societal messages shape people's minds into oh I can't be this kind of a sensitive person I can't be a sensitive caring kind boy that is not how I'm supposed to be and hasn't that gotten us in a whole lot of crappy situations (laughs) in some ways
0: I think the show does a great job of letting Huey be the audience point of view character for the most part because you get to go on that journey with him because Mm -hmm. like the relationship between him and Butcher is more, bro- you know, older younger brother, but there's definitely an aspect of Butcher represents the kind of masculinity that his father does not, and and that for you as a viewer at first you're like, yeah, his father just wants to roll over and and let the company walk all over him, and Butcher wants to fight back, and isn't that great? Mm-hmm. We're talking a lot about how this all affects the men, uh, in 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 all of this, and I. I want you to talk a little bit more about how, I mean, there's so much to Maeve and and Starlight's characters and, and a number of the other women characters, not just toxic masculinity, but just on the subject, because there's some great stuff in the book about how both um, Starlight and, and Queen Maeve wind up being both kind of obviously victims of or, or harmed by the toxic masculinity of those around him, them, but also kind of enculturated into that culture, especially Queen Maeve. Uh, talk more about that
1: yeah, because it, it 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 happens to we all absorb toxic masculinity and misogyny and homophobia and everything else. We all absorb it. whether it's directly relevant those messages coming to us, whether we identify as the target of those messages or not, we all buy into them. And there's numerous examples of how the people who identify as women, In the show, also buy into that. Stormfront is another great example, or Madeline Stillwell. We have we have tons of examples of how people buy into that too. But I like that. Again, I I think my favorite arcs in the show are watching people, soups or other or regular people struggle against these tropes. So Maeve's journey, you know, we know from what we hear about her history that she started out really authentic, authentic to herself, authentically wanting to help, maybe kind of naive about what being a soup was all about, and then she finds out. And at first, or for a while, she decides to buy into those tropes. She also, she wants the power, she wants the popularity, She feels like this is the only option that she has. So she's very cynical when the show starts. You know, she says to Starlight, you know, Mm -hmm. stop crying, wipe your makeup off. Like, this is what we have to do. But over the course of the show, she reverts back to realizing the value of her relationship with her girlfriend, for example, and that that's actually more important to her than being a soup that has a, a theme park modeled after you or by being sort of the the poster person for being lesbian, which she isn't even, like just completely right. being something for someone else that you're not, even though you do get clear benefits for that. And that is also real. You know, there are real world benefits for buying into the way that you should be, even if a part of you knows this is really not the way I should be. This is not really right. So I love that she has to struggle for three whole mm-hmm. seasons to get back to that authenticity and to be willing to say, you know what? I'm done. I'm done with yeah. this. My I have my humanity back. You know, I'm I'm going to go be happy with Elena. I love that journey.
0: Mm-hmm. And th- there's so much there to unpack, but I just want to say it quickly, I love that you lifted up. Um the way the company responds when she comes out about being uh, a, a, in a queer relationship with with Elena, because it is that very, like, I, at the time that happened, I, I don't remember where, if it was because Pride was coming up or Pride had just happened or what the, the schedule was, but there were conversations going on about how Pride is becoming more corporate, you know, and that more and more corporations are embracing Pride, mm-hmm. which, you know, I I remember when the corporations were throwing rocks at us. Like, it's, it is progress in some ways, but there's also something very insidious about how capitalism can just be like, oh, okay, instead of hating that can make us money, let's take that now. And mm-hmm. it, it was like five seconds of on screen. But having Maeve uh, being in a relationship with a woman, A first being reduced to being lesbian, which is you know, one mm-hmm. sapphic relationship, does not define that. But also she's a queer woman necessarily, but I think she identifies as my. Bi- but but also that just the way that the corporation just made that their own as a profit thing, it, it was mm-hmm. it was five seconds of screen time and brilliant social commentary.
1: Yeah. And again – And, no, and
2: look ahead. what happened at, with like Bud Light mm-hmm. like after that. Like if you – like talk about like it, it's so funny and, and you can point to many things where Kripke or, or the writers – Um, there's such a commentary about our society and our American culture right now. And and sometimes they even like call things before they happen. And sometimes they're holding a mirror up to what's happening now. But don't forget, like the Bud Light thing happened after, Mm -hmm. you know, this all. So like you're so right on, Matthew, with that. They're just using it as a way to kind of save money and, and, and or to make money. And as soon as they weren't making money, like, they drop that like a hot rock. It's it's not like there's something that intuitively and ethically they're going to stand behind it. it it's all a manipulation for power and, and yeah. privilege.
0: And just to be clear, because I think there's been a couple of things that might qualify by the Bud Light thing. You mean that they you that um one of their spokespeople at one point was uh. uh Dylan Mulvaney, I think, is the name. Yes. Uh, yeah. Uh, a very popular uh, trans woman who is uh, yes. uh, an influencer, and that caused a huge backlash. That, that Bud Light then yep. backed away from some. And yeah. Yep. Just want to make sure. And
2: and and to keep going along with that, Matthew. Now Bud Light is kind of like now they're back on the you know football. Like I was watching some football this weekend which i enjoy doing and of course bud light's back on the it's all about football and manly and so Mm -hmm. so like they'll swing that pendulum wherever they feel like they can make the buck and and i think you know um that's what the boys kind of holds up that that um they'll manipulate like and and again it's vaught that's manipulating it which is is you know kind of the true villain um and and then the other thing i wanted to talk about is like People feel so stuck. Like if you if you look at especially the female characters, they they almost feel like they have to play the game the toxic masculinity way, which is what Lynn was talking about. And they'll use whatever power or privilege they can, whether it's sexuality, whether it's breast milk. I mean, there's there's so many kind of things um that go in into that narrative. It's it's so interesting. They feel like the only way to kind of not win the game, but even have a stake in it is is to play the way that you have to play in, yeah. in a toxic masculinity sense.
0: There's been a lot of great analysis that I've been seeing recently about how people in situations where they're being oppressed, where there are power structures that work against them, uh, you know, kind of talking about not necessarily what is the right thing or the wrong thing, but what are they doing to survive? And, you know, what are they doing mm-hmm. in a situation where... Th- you know, they perceive that they have no choice to do this either out of literal fear of their life, or out of this is the only way they can succeed. This is the only way they can get out of the the traps they're in. And I feel like that's, as you said, from everything from um, uh, Marilyn to mm-hmm. uh, Starlight's decision with the deep to Maeve's kind of yep. you know subsuming so much of herself. It, it's all survival. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And, and yeah. I, I like that another consistent theme that runs throughout the boys is the intergenerational transmission of all these things, because it's not even just what you experience in your own life. It's not, it's not just that you learn these things by stepping in it once or twice and then saying, oh shit, I better not do that again. It is something that is explicitly and intentionally passed down through the generations. You see it with, uh, Uh, soldier boy's father. You see it with Dr. Vogelbaum, the Homelander. You see it with Annie's mother that she Mm -hmm. just as in, you know, Annie's not in a lab. She's not being abused in any traditional way. But her mother decides that the best thing for her and the way she can be successful and maybe even the way she can be safe in life, her mother might even have believed that, is for her to turn her into a soup, feed her a narrative about how she got that way, which was untrue, absorb Annie's father's leaving in order to keep that narrative supported, and then explicitly tell her, you have to suck it up. This is what's expected. Even if you're in pain, you have to smile and put on this skimpy outfit and go out there and be this persona that we've created. And her mother seems to have, in the beginning really convinced herself through rationalization or whatever other process that this is actually the best thing for her daughter, too, which is really heartbreaking to see. But that's why it is. That's why it's perpetuated, because people do start to believe I'm doing this because this is the right thing to do.
0: I remember when when that storyline came out, None of the people who I follow, another community that I'm very involved in um, is ex-evangelicals people you know I I myself am Christian I'm a former pastor I was never raised in that I've always been a very progressive side of things but you know for obvious reasons I connect a lot with people who have really been fighting against the the much more conservative sides of the church and the number of women in those communities especially those who were part of modeling circuits or you know s- singing or doing other things where their physical attractiveness was was pushed um, so related to that and really related to you know among other things this incredible confusion of we want to dress you in these very skimpy outfits while we push this message of virginity and celibacy and which Mm -hmm. those two things can absolutely go hand in hand to be very clear um but but the 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 way it was being pushed on them instead of being chosen for them as well as just all this idea and i thought there was something so brilliant in that Starlight faces this double rejection from the two strong women who she looks to for help, Queen Maeve and her mother. And both of them, in some regard, are just saying, like, I don't want to know. This is what you got to deal with. As you said, suck it up and, and deal with it.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And what Starlight goes through comes from a character, of The Deep, who is... is is. He is such a great example of the other kind of big thing I wanted to talk about, which is the um, the way villains are treated and and then redeemed or not redeemed or, or however you want to discuss it in that The Deep does something, uh, you know, he, he sexually assaults Starlight. He, he compels her into uh, uh, performing an act on him uh, that um, she clearly does not consent to because of the power dynamic. And then by the end of the third season, they've given us all these reasons to feel sympathetic for him. And... It's a, I remember it being a real struggle where I was like, I was don't want to root for this character, but I find myself that I am in some ways. And it's. I, I think you perfectly summed it up with the kitten, mur- kitten murder baby phrase. Uh, what is a kitten murder baby?
1: It's a character that we intellectually know, rationally, is a villain, is a bad person, is not somebody we should root for. And yet at the same time, they have certain characteristics and they have a backstory that we know about that's sympathetic. So we find ourselves rooting for them anyway. But it's... It's jarring because it's the rational part of our brain warring with the emotional part of our brain. So we see it with Mm -hmm. Soldier Boy. That's what my chapter was about. That's how I refer to him. And that's how much of the fandom was referring to him, too. It happens with The Deep also. The show is really good at not painting anything in black and white. It is the most shades of gray show I think I have ever seen because even the people Mm -hmm. who we know... Are supposed to be the villains, other than Vought, the Soups that we know are supposed to be the villains, they do such a great job of telling us and showing us how they got there and also showing us bits of their vulnerability that we feel pulled to forgive them for the terrible things that we absolutely know they've done. And to treat them as little baby murder kittens, even though we know that they are perhaps vicious killers or rapists or something else sometimes.
2: Yeah, Frenchie is a great example of that, right? Like you really want to root for Frenchie and you he he, he shares such kind of a soft side and he's cooking and he's caring for Kimiko. But don't forget, like he pushed drugs and was in gangs and, you know, and, and yet he had horrible things happen to him. I mean, his dad did horrible, horrible things to him. So. Like it's interesting, I think that goes into what Lynn's saying is like, you know, we're always taught as, as psychologists, everything happens for a reason. Our job is not to judge it. Our job is to understand why. Right. And if you, and if you take that boy, viewpoint from, for the boys, boy, do they really try to tell you why somebody does the things that they do. And and not that that makes it okay, but we really get a good realization of, of where these, uh, how these people got where they are.
0: Yeah. And I think that's such an important part of this discussion because I think where the discussion often breaks down a lot, and I, I love what you said about that you want to understand without excusing it necessarily or judging it, uh, or, or maybe judging it, is the what I refer to as like, is this an explanation or is this an excuse? Because something I think we see in fandom all the time and... A lot of this comes from my the, the the person I would happily apply the term you know uh, baby murder kitten to in a very different fandom that I'm not sure how you're you're involved in, but Anakin Skywalker in 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 all of that and sure there are I think incredibly nuanced interesting discussions to be had about to what extent is what Anakin did you know his own choices versus the way he was manipulated by Palpatine versus the way he was treated mm-hmm. as a young child all of that. In terms of, as you said, explanations. But instead, the discussion comes down to, oh, it wasn't his fault. He's still a perfect guy. He was just manipulated by – he was groomed by Palpatine or he was ignored by Mace Windu. Um, right. which, there's often some unfortunate race connotations there when, when, when Mace is blamed or whatever it is. Um, and I'm not going to be talking about Star Wars, but, but using that as an example, I'd love to hear more about how is it you see this play out in fandom where with character, like. It feels like having that kind of idea of I can root for someone like Soldier Boy, I can sympathize with him without right. necessarily excusing him. In the world of Twitter and TikTok, that nuance is often lost and it quickly becomes, no, 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 it's not Homelander's fault. It's Bombs. No, no, it's not Soldier Boy's fault. Um, it's, how, how does that kind of play out as you see it?
1: I I think part of what is happening in fandom and having studied fandom for 20 years now, fandom has changed a lot, just as humans have changed a lot over the last 20 years. I think that there is an increasing number of people who really struggle with the very thing that the boys is trying to put out there, which is nuance and shades of gray. Like the boys is explicitly telling you You as a human are capable of feeling two things at once. We actually can do that. It's uncomfortable, but we can do it. And it's actually important skill that humans need to have. As as therapists, as psychologists, that's something we work with our clients around because people have kind of a knee-jerk reaction of, oh, I can't both dislike what this person is doing and also feel bad for this person because what's happened to them? Yes, you actually can. It just takes some comfort with that. And I think for a lot of fans, that is not possible. So the only way they can deal with the affectionate feelings that they are feeling for a fictional character is to recode everything that has happened to that character as not just explanation, but excuse. The only way they can allow themselves to feel the warm part of that feeling is by blocking out or denying or by rationalizing away everything else that that character has done. That's not what the boys is trying to tell you to do by any means. That's not what Star Wars is trying to tell you to do by any means. And I, maybe this is me being a fandom old, but it seems like fandom used to be able to handle that nuance and that black and white, and maybe just not take the whole thing quite as seriously when we're talking about fictional characters. But now there's such a disconnect with people really mixing up almost how they feel about fictional characters with how as though these things were happening in the real world and thus they need to have a more black and white view of morality. I I do think that's a change and I I actually think it's kind of a disturbing change.
0: As another old fogey, my temptation to say, yeah, it's you can't have nuance in a 160 character tweet. Um, you know, but I, I, think there's a lot of other reasons for it, but yeah, I think that there's definitely some truth there.
2: Mm. Matthew, I'd be happy to talk about Star
0: Wars all day. My, my son, Adam, <laughs> it's his, it's his. It's thing. my, my and son he, too. It,
1: my son's thing too. Yeah. Uh, uh,
0: Congratulations. 19, you just
1: volunteered volunteer
0: to be on another podcast, but go <laughs> <yeah>. on.
1: <laughs> but, uh, but
2: the, I, I think the thing that's so interesting about Anakin and, and that's my son, Adam's favorite character. And, and I think he relates them a, a lot. Mm-hmm right? How would I react or how do, uh, and uh, the, that's the thing. And, and Lynn took the words right out of my mouth. It's called the dialectic. Like two things can be present kind of at the same time. I mean, there's a whole freaking therapy uh, about it. Dialectical behavioral therapy. I can both love and hate somebody. I can both, you know, um, I can want to be something and still be okay with where, where I am. And I, and I think that's the struggle is like, I can't be a person that likes Anakin, even though I want to like Anakin because he's such. A, I mean, look, he slaughtered all these kids. Like, but I really want to 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 like him, and I and, and I'm like, it's okay. Yeah, you can you can like and hate the same character, right? Um, and and that's life. I mean, we don't all do things that are great, right? We we can we can embrace parts of ourselves and and look at other parts of ourselves and say, yeah, that's probably not the best part of me. But that doesn't mean I'm a bad person. It means that those are the things I need to work on. There's another thing that we say a lot in therapy. There's no failure, only feedback, right? Like, we, we you don't have to say, well, oh, my God, you're a horrible person because you did this. Like, hey, like, this is something you're doing or, or that you did. And, and what do we make of that? And and how do we move from that? We cannot live in the past. Yeah. And, and you know, like, so I think that's a lot of what you're talking about, Matthew.
0: I really think so, and I love the way you put that. Um, I'm not a trained therapist, the way either of you are, but I'm a former pastor. As part of that, we had some, you know, introduction to, to therapy sure. and the like, and, and you know, because we're often dealing with people who who, you we're know, generally the goal is like, all right, you see us once or twice, and then please go see a therapist because um, all that. But but one of the things I think that that became so important to the work I would often do with people that I think is really underlying all this is, our culture loves blame. And it's not just our culture, but also our brains, you know, and, mm-hmm. and I know I've dealt with this myself and a lot of others who know, have dealt with this, and I think DBT is a great way of addressing this a lot of ways. But it's very hard. the idea of two people had a conflict and they both had some fault in it, and you know they were you know they got into a cycle that fed off of each other. That's really hard to 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 accept. What's a lot easier to accept is either, a, I was the bad guy, so I have to punish myself or I have to change myself. Or they were the bad guy. They're my crazy ex, and now I can blame all of them. Mm -hmm. And maybe I'm wrong here, but it it feels like that is a lot of the – like, it's good that we're paying more attention to that, but that's kind of some of the dynamic that we're now having in fandom a lot is it's very hard to say, look, this explains what Homelander is and who Hamler is and why he is. And we can learn from this to prevent future homelanders, but that doesn't stop or justify the 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 harm that a homelander or a soldier boy or someone creates. Do, do you think there's something you said for like that? That's part of what feeds into this idea of we need to excuse it because of like oh yeah, but you know because it, it it's not Vought is to blame, capitalism is to blame, and thus it's not this other person. Right,
2: Matthew, take it a step farther. Look, I, I talk a lot about this in my chapter. It's like it's so interesting. What the boys does on some level is say if we took normal people and made them superheroes, how would they turn out? Mm-hmm. Right. So like we have these neurotic, we have these people that are good, bad, or have you know different bad. Like and basically we're we're turning them into super superheroes, and we're saying what do they do with all this power? And and you know I think Butcher says I, I think it's season three. You know, something about like power corrupts, you know, automatically or, you know, without fail. And, and that's really like it's such an interesting concept. Like if if we were superheroes, if somebody gave us this compound, V, first, would we take it? And second, what will we do with that power and privilege? Will we be nihilists? Will we be narcissists? Would we be I mean, that's kind of the arc of almost everybody that takes it. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's such an interesting question.
1: And, and has so much to say about capitalism, too, right? Like, if you give the power and privilege to only a few, do, can we really depend on those few to, you know, yeah. to have things trickle down? To No, what this show is saying is absolutely you cannot. In fact, the more power and privilege you give them, the greater the chances that they're going to do something really shitty to everyone else because they can.
0: It's so true. And I One thing I love so much about Homelander and Soldier Boy especially is that they are such perfect parallels for Superman and Captain America. I mean, down to like the cape and the shield. And with both of those characters, part of why I started this podcast is because I'm much more a Batman guy than a Superman guy. Because I've always felt that the fundamental idea behind Batman is you can have someone who is that powerful and that good and could turn bad. But he's just so wholesome, Kansas, you know, right person that you can trust him with the power. And that's the same thing with Captain America of, you know, you can't trust the mm-hmm. government. You have to let him trust himself. And there's something really heartwarming about those stories. And I think there's some hope that 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 there's a reason to have those stories. But this is the flip side. This is the, no, what if Superman, like, because that's, Homelander is Superman just without the, all the wholesome, you know, like, in many ways I feel like if Lex Luthor were to watch the boys, he'd be like, that's why I'm afraid of Superman. You know? That's mm-hmm. Amanda Waller would yeah. be like, this is why I keep kryptonite, because it, it you know, it, it takes kind of mixing all the metaphors now, but the Joker idea of like, you know, even a Superman is just one bad day away from being a homelander.
1: Yeah. Yeah, there's a there's a chapter that <laughs> refers to the soups as sentient nukes and yeah. and you know, and and raises the question of, you know. Can you ever control sentient nukes? And when you give people too much power, are they all, that's what they are. And they may keep yeah. that contained. They may never act out and do anything, but there's an awareness that 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 power is there and it could be destructive at any time. I also think that like Louis, uh, Yui's whole journey with, you know, taking the, the, compound V and who do I want to be? I mean, that is a little bit of the more traditional, like Yui does really want to hang on to his humanity. Queen Maeve also, like some of the stories here are reflecting that not everybody is going to do everything for power and let it take away their humanity and let it let them hurt other people. But a lot of people are. So again, it's not black and white. I think they're showing both sides but they're also showing just how tempting it is and all the reasons we want to buy into that.
0: Yeah. And, and to me, that's like, especially when you said the word tempting, that's the Star Wars story for me. Like that's the whole idea of the dark side of that, you know, you mm-hmm. want to do good. And so you want more and more power and, and where they can go. And the sentient nuke thing to me really rings true because we don't have people with that kind of like physical superpower, but Elon Musk is basically that, you know, a, a mm-hmm. those people who just have that kind of power. Let's talk about how gender plays into this a bit, because we're talking specifically about male heroes a lot. And mm-hmm. I hear a similar version of this around uh, evil women characters, you know, or supervillains and the like. And, and you know, the, a, a phrase that gets tossed around a lot in, in the queer uh, fandom, I, uh, queer fandoms I listen to and participate in is I support women's rights, but I also support women's wrongs. Uh, and and the idea of, you know, I'm, I'm rooting for this woman either because – sometimes because it's, you know, what she's doing is enacting a, reven- a revenge fantasy of, you know, she's doing villainous things but fighting back against toxic masculinity or, or uh, capitalism. I think the, the Harley Quinn uh, cartoon really kind of digs into this. But also just an article of she's damn sexy and I love her doing it and I'm, I'm going to support it. Um, how – this also ties into the other thing I want to ask about, which is the sexuality of these characters and how we respond to it. But I'm just kind of curious, how do you see either similarities or differences in how um, relatable, sympathetic male villains are treated versus sympathetic, relatable uh, female villains?
1: I mean, they don't they don't have as many female, quote unquote, villains. Certainly Stormfront comes to mind as as the character that this most plays out around. I think the, one of the most interesting things about Stormfront, who we do have a chapter on and an interview, a whole exclusive interview with Aya Cash, because I am pretty fascinated with that character. Um, I think it's really interesting that in the beginning, all of her sort of stereotypically attractive Female qualities, like she's social media savvy, and she seems to be like calling out Vaught for their hypocrisy, and she seems to be very much like take down the man and female empowerment for real. And we really buy into that if you haven't read the comics anyway. We really buy into that when we first meet her, and it's very interesting that they gender switched her in the comic. Stormfront was a male character. They made her into a female character, which I think makes it a lot more complicated. And it was very jarring to realize, oh, wait a minute. This actually is not a character that we're supposed to be rooting for. This character actually is a villain character. Um, okay. I think it's also interesting that the final kind of takedown of Stormfront happens with the women, they allow the women characters to be the one who actually takes Stormfront out. So I do think it's trying to say something about how, a, women buy into the same tropes of toxic masculinity and women are just as capable as men of getting a lot of power and using it for bad. I mean, I think it's I think it's a very equal playing field, but I think also this show, it tries to be very careful about remembering that there is a, an inherent power differential between women and men in this particular culture. And that was, that was a very interesting choice to have the women be the one who took Stormfront down.
0: Definitely. And there's so much more to say about Stormfront, especially in that, like, in this world of nuance, I feel like making her explicitly a Nazi is kind of a way of saying, okay, Everyone is nuanced, but her, she is a villain, like straight up, by, by attaching her, not as a metaphor, but directly to, you know, one of the most obvious, you know, embodiments of evil in her own world. But I, I, I apologize, I think I should phrase the question a little differently. I guess what I'm more seeing is, I, I'm curious your thoughts on how this plays out of sort of the the sexy male villain and the sexy female villain in the larger kind of superhero cultures and and, and and the choice in in uh the boys to make it specifically about th- that that most of the murder kitten babies are male uh is, is more kind of what i'm getting at because i it, it does feel to me like the culture around sexy female villain is often somewhat different than the the, the murder baby kitten uh but 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 yeah that, that, i guess that's more kind of what i'm what i'm getting at uh but i'd love to hear either of you talk about
1: yeah, Matt, what do you say? I feel like you can do a better job of answering this, especially for the wider superhero world.
2: Well, yeah. I mean, I think, um, Matthew, you bring up a good point in that, I mean, even if you look at, you know, Star Wars, and you talked a little bit about that, like, there really aren't a lot of, you know, female villains, and even if they are, they're not really fleshed out to, to the, the you know, to the depth of, you know, like a Darth Vader or Darth Sidious or something like that. But if, but if you look at the boys... I think it's really interesting. I think you, you really look at that manifest destiny aspect and and, mm-hmm. and you think of like societal uh, concepts. And, and I think that's where the men are, quote unquote, supposed to be. So I feel like the boys does a very good job of women always trying to figure out where their place is and, and, and the men not giving them any space.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: Right. Kimiko, right. Stormfront. I mean, and, and Stormfront has this great line. And I, I, I'm i going to butcher it, I'm sure. But like, you know, it's basically like, I don't need 100,000 followers. I need 10,000 kind of maniacs. Mm. Um, and I think that's what she like. That's what she's kind of struggling with is like, how do I find my power? How do I find my privilege? Um, who will let me in the game? Right. So to speak because men are never letting them in the game. Kimiko's another great example of that, right? Like um being used by males. Right. Right, being brought over and stuck with needles and, uh, you know, um, and, uh, you, you know, so men have this manifest destiny. We're supposed to, be, you know, be powerful and privileged and tell people what to do. And, and there's there's really no women for no, no room for women to, to play that role.
1: I think it there's also I mean, obviously, internalized misogyny, it, it affects all of us. It affects women, it affects men, it affects everyone. And I do think when you look at fandom, fandom is tends to be much more forgiving of male characters than female characters being villains. And part mm-hmm. of that is because yeah. misogyny is it's internalized in all of us. So you see much more, oh, well, but he, and you see a lot less of that, oh, well, but she. Um, it's interesting because I think sometimes I'm a bit of an anomaly in that I usually feel that same kind of, oh, but you gotta think about the fact that she more than other people. For example, I felt really upset when all the women were like totally railing on Stormfront, and I was very aware that I was not supposed to feel upset, that I was supposed Mm -hmm. to feel like, yeah, she's getting hers, but I was still upset at the violence of it and at what was happening. I was upset at, at the horrible, disfiguring thing that happened to her. I latched onto the little bit of backstory that we did get. I latched onto her vulnerability and humanity about her daughter, who she had connected to, and the fact that she was trying to recreate a family with. Homelander and Ryan, even though she actually was a literal Nazi. I actually brought that up to Aya in our interview and she was kind of surprised. She said, I don't, I don't think that's what most people feel about this character. I don't think they feel any sense of forgiveness for her at all. But really, is she a whole lot worse than? Homelander, and we feel a lot of forgiveness and a lot of excusing for him. So I think some of that is the difference between a male villain and a female villain.
2: Let me ask you a question, then, Lynn. I, I think Soldier Boy even more gets more excuses. So if you if you think of like Stormfront and then Homel- like boy, or people forgiving of of Soldier Boy. Why do you think that?
1: I mean, a little bit of that, at least. And I I said this to Eric Kripke, and he kind of agreed. A little bit of that, at least, is what Matthew said in the very beginning. He's played by Jensen Ackles, who has a lot of fans and is extremely nice to look at, and also is just a really good actor. So Mm -hmm. when he's going to show you the vulnerability of that character you are really going to see the vulnerability of that character.
2: Yeah. And yet he treats women very poorly. I mean, if you look at the flashback where they're in the jungle of, you know, wherever, Asia or wherever. Like, I mean, he has some of the most horrific lines of toxic masculinity uh, in the whole show. He for
1: sure does. But he also has these adorable little moments where he's like singing a, a song on a TV show and just being ridiculous. I, but that's my point. Is that
2: like that's boys being boys, right? And and that's excuse. And
1: this is how ha- it happens in real life too. I mean, we see it all the that's time. What I'm
0: saying. Yeah, yeah. I, I love how you point out in this chapter that he, among other things, he treats them in still very misogynistically kind of sex object ways. But it's older women who he is, you know, ha- ha- has this threesome with. Uh, I think they're they're uh, workers at the hotel he's at. Um, mm-hmm. and 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 you know, he refers to them as aging like a fine wine, you know. And it's this nice like oh. He's not the, you know, uh, 35-year-old dating the 18-year-old model, you know, um, but also still wrapped up in all the other stuff. And I think that I, I have to imagine, and, and, and you all might know this better than I, but the kind of, I, I think it, we're being a lot more critical of it now, but obviously there's been in society and in psychology a lot of the kind of like, well, the, the response to the bad man is, I can fix him. You know, he just needs the love of a good woman. And... I feel like that, to me, I guess that was kind of where, uh, part of what I was thinking about in, in terms of the gender breakdown is that I, I think you don't see that as much with the uh, Scarlet Witch, you know, or with uh, Poison Ivy as much. It's a very different kind of a dynamic, but that's still there is that idea of like, oh, I could be the one to bring out the good side in Soldier Boy. I could be the one to make Butcher, you know, put past his pain and be a good dad and all that kind of stuff
1: yeah which is is really part of toxic masculinity and misogyny mm-hmm. i mean we we yeah we tend to look at female villains as more like she's inherently evil she's the wicked witch that is what she is that's part of her identity whereas a male villain, we tend to be like, Oh, well, these things happened to him. I'm sure I can fix him. I can forgive this and that. I do think it is different. I mean, I do think it is also changing and becoming mm-hmm. like, like I think of like the narrative of something like Frozen, which is in a totally different genre, but, uh, or wicked, like looking, looking yeah. at female quote unquote villains as not something inherently evil, but starting to look at them in a more nuanced way.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, mean, I don't know if you've seen the animated Harley show, but it's very much of that. It, it's Poison Ivy and Harley are doing horrible things, but they're doing horrible things to the capitalists who are ruining the economy and to men who – like, you know, I the, the misogyny culture of men whistling at women on the street is one that is horrific and needs to be undone. I don't think it means that those men should be instantly beheaded as as Harley and Poison Ivy do, but I think that, that – the revenge fantasy aspect of that is a big part of what, what people can tie into there. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. No, I think so too.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, this has been a, a great conversation and, and we're going to have a little bit more in a member section. Um, but for either of you, is there any kind of aspects of this? Uh, I mean, you wrote a whole book about it, obviously. So it's saying what's the one last thing you want to say? But is there one other aspect of um, the way the boys plays out psychologically that you kind of wanted to bring up?
1: Yeah, yeah, there's a, there's a couple. Um, I'll just do one and then let Matt do one. I mean, I think, and I think he would agree with me that one of the things that we really appreciated about the show is as psychologists, We see a lot of media not get it right when they're talking about mental health issues, and it's always annoying as a psychologist to say, ah, that's perpetuating something that's totally not true and maybe is even harmful. I think The Boys often gets it very right. The show is very much about trauma. It's very much about loss. It's very much about the Things that we absorb from our culture that are not good for us. And it shows the aftermath of that in a very realistic way. You know, characters don't experience trauma and have a nightmare one night and then get up the next day and say, okay, well, I'm putting that behind me. Like they look at what happens with PTSD. They look at how people grieve and how sometimes that it goes awry for them sometimes. They look at how people are drawn to using substances to, you know, get past, try to get past some of these things. They look at the effect trauma has on people's relationships. I mean, they really don't shy away from making all this very realistic. And I think we both were drawn to the show because we appreciated that realism. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, yeah, I would definitely echo everything that Lynn said, and I would add the idea that just like if we have somebody, you know, in front of us that, that we're doing therapy with, it's so nuanced, it's so complex, there is no right or wrong, there is no black and white, you know, you can be many things at the same time, and, and I think that's what um, the boys does so well. Um it it really does talk about arcs. It talks about how people got where they are and and also the choices that people make and that they have real consequences. and And the other thing that I think is really interesting is the idea that um, people are just trying to get their needs met,
0: mm-hmm.
2: right? Whatever they particularly are. And, and they're, you know and boy the boys does such a fantastical. I mean, like either they're blowing people up or they're lasering them in the face or whatever but it but it's all because they're trying to get their needs met and 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 when they can't get their needs met that's when distress
0: happens right it's such a good point and I, I particularly love what you're talking about there about the the way the media will so often try to just diagnose these things automatically you know and i think we see this all the time both with you know oh this character in fiction clearly has borderline or narcissistic personality disorder or whatever, but then also, you know, open up any social media platform and within five clicks, you can find something that says, you know, 10 questions to see if your partner is a narcissist, you know, or, or this Mm -hmm. kind of thing. And so often it's tied to a real demonization of these things. And, um, I remember there was a period of about, like, it felt like about like 10 or 15 years in the earlier 2000s where, Superhero media all of a sudden realized that just the ha I want power, I'm twirling my mustache villain isn't interesting enough, but they decided, okay, if we just give our, 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 our um, villain PTSD and then it shifted to if we just give them borderline or, or something else, then that explains why they're a villain and that's enough. <sighs> And mm-hmm. and it was I mean for myself I've talked openly about um, my own mental health journey I mean it's incredibly stigmatizing and the like but also just deeply inaccurate and so yeah I never really thought of it before but I like the idea of the boys being at least one of the ones that's trying to go a little deeper and say yeah there's mm-hmm. there's trauma and there's mental health and all that but but it also there's, there's so much more to it
1: and they they mm-hmm. portray the mental health struggles of some of the most heroic characters on the show. You know, you see Starlight struggle with with an eating disorder. You see uh, Mother's Milk struggle with OCD. You see Yui struggle with, you know, trauma, PTSD, grief. I mean, it's it's not pathologizing. That's that's not all that they do. And yeah, it drives me crazy when I see those kind of things that you're talking about. So this feels so -hmm. much better.
2: Yeah. I, There's this thing, Matthew, that we call a phenomenological approach. Mm-hmm. And basically, a phenomenological approach is basically every person is completely different. And, and, you know, Lynn will probably agree with me. Like, I can count probably on the, the, the times that this has happened on, on one hand, maybe not even any, where somebody absolutely fits a specific diagnosis. Like, you know, everybody's, well, I'm borderline. Like, even the, the quote unquote borderlines I treat, they don't fit all the symptomology. Like, people are who they are. And, and even if they do hit it, Tomorrow they might not, right? Like maybe they're having a bad day. Like we have to take people for who they are and, and this this idea that we're going to label them and therefore they're this way every day for the rest of their lives forever and this is how they have to be categorized is grossly inaccurate and, and, and I think a disservice to, to everybody that's trying to help people. The other thing that I think the boys does is it normalizes all this stuff. Mm-hmm right like you know this is like I don't know what abnormal is anymore like like your experiences are your own and and you know whatever they are and to 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 judge them instead of saying well this is this is the impact your life has had on you and and to to kind of accept that and then what do we do with that? do we move forward or are there things we have to talk about um, but that that it's kind of a you know a very personal journal and to pull out a book and say, well, this is what you fit, and therefore, this is what you are. I mean, that's never the way that I've done therapy. I don't think it's the way that Ling does, and most good therapists don't don't um, approach it that way. Yeah, I. In my opinion,
0: this this is shifting genres quite dramatically. But I don't know if you've seen the show Crazy Ex-Girlfriend, but it does a lot. The, the name is off-putting for a lot of people, but I think it's actually one of the best explorations of borderline and and psychology around that and one of the things that it does is the character sings this song it's a musical when she's given a diagnosis and she's like oh everything is cured I've been given I've been given a label I've been given an explanation and then yeah. the whole next season is about her realizing like, no that's that that's the start of a whole bunch of questions that's not the answer and and yeah I feel like it's the same kind of thing here
2: I'll have to give it a
0: watch yeah that sounds very good and spot on it it is very very good it's i had to be forced to watch it because the name was like i this sounds so misogynistic but it's all about playing against that well thank you both so much uh for listeners i hope they're going to be like okay well this sounds like a great book i want to know more um give us your promo for the book how how to what what is it how do people find it etc
1: uh It is a book full of all different perspectives on the boys and why it is such a phenomenon and why it has resonated with so many people. It's got chapters by psychologists like we are as the editors, by sociologists, by entertainment professionals, by other creative media creators. It's got exclusive interviews with Jensen Ackles and Aya Cash and Jim Beaver and a lot of little interview clips from all the other main actors. So it really gives you all kinds of different perspectives on the show, what it was like to craft it and be part of it, what it's been like for all of us to watch it and what particular things really spoke to us. So I think if the show speaks to you and resonates with you, that the book will really speak to you and resonate with you and definitely make you think because all of Mm -hmm. the perspectives are different and they're all a deep dive. Um, You can pre-order it if this is coming out before the first week of December at uh, smartpopbooks.com backslash the boys. And if it is already December when you're hearing this, you can probably just pop over to your local bookstore or Amazon or Barnes and Noble and find it there. Yep. And uh, I
0: I have a deal with uh. Bookshop.org, which is a great organization that helps local bookstores. And so I'll, I'll make sure I have an affiliate link there. If you click to it, you can buy it from a local bookstore in, in your area. A little bit also helps go support this podcast. It is a great book. Um, the, the two best endorsements of it that I can give. One is that I, I personally am very glad I'm polyamorous because both of my partners love the show. And when I got to the point that I was driving one of them crazy with how much I was like, "Oh my god, I never thought of this point." She was able to be like, go talk to Abby. Like Abby also likes the show. I'm done with this. But the other thing is that you know, at a time when there is so much content I want to consume, and I rarely go back and watch things, I'm now about halfway through season one of a rewatch because it just, I felt like I was like, "Oh." Okay, now that I see, now I want to watch Homelanders and again. Now I want to watch right. the Scott, the, like, the, um, the scene you were talking about with um, Stormfront and her kind of flashback scenes. It, it makes you want to watch the show again, uh, which is uh, just, it, it's a great thing. And I, you know, if you listen to this podcast, it's probably because you find watching a piece of media not enough. You want to nerd out about it. You want to talk more about it. And it's one thing when you and your friends are talking about, oh, I read this one article that, that was written by someone who had talked to a psychologist once, so I'm an expert on this. This book is a chance to really listen to actual experts and and, and perspectives that, as you said, it's not monolithic. People disagree with each other. People have different viewpoints. And it's uh, it, it's as nuanced as the show itself, which is, I think, just fantastic. And uh, I know both of you have also done other creations. So if people want to find more of what, what you have both done or or how to find more about that, uh, Dr. Zabrenis, if you want to start.
1: Sure. Um, you can find me on all social media at Fangasm SPN. My own website is FangasmTheBook.com. And you can find uh, some of the books that I've written with the cast of Supernatural. If you're into that show, I have two books written with the actors. They all wrote their own chapters. You can find those books at Peace When You Are Done Dot
0: .com Nice and uh, Dr. Schneider
2: yeah, most of my other stuff is textbooks and, you know, uh, related to clinical work. So probably not, you know, the funnest things to read. Um, and I kind of uh, – I stay away from social media right now mm-hmm. um, just because, you know, my main gig is kind of therapy. So and um, so I'm not really on those platforms. But if anybody, you know, is looking for a good therapist in the Philadelphia area or in <laughs> Pennsylvania, I, I do have openings. So He's
0: good. That's wonderful to hear. He's good. That's wonderful to hear. And it's – um. There's a whole other part of the conversation we didn't get into, but I – as a social media creator, one thing I really loved about the, the show uh, is how it also talks about parasocial relationships and and the way they can go. And so, yeah, I'm, I'm curious because mm-hmm. I think a, a lot of people I know in, in in helping professions avoid social media for exactly those kind of reasons. So, well, this has been wonderful. Thank you both so much. Um, thank you to to Heather. I think you're a uh, your media person who helped get us in touch with each other uh we'll love to have both of you back as i said there's a number of podcast uh ideas that we'd love to talk with you more about to our fans of course want to hear what you have to think uh i want to hear what you have to say Um, You can find all the information by going to theethicalpanda.com. You can also go to uh, our webpage on True Story FM. We're part of that family of podcasts. There you'll find all my podcasts about this and about Star Wars, uh, as well as other podcasts I've been a guest on. And most importantly, you'll find the way to reach out to us. We'd love to hear your feedback. What has been your experience of this? Uh, Does this make you interested in reading the book? What do you want to say? How do you feel about the stuff we talked about? We'd love to hear it. Please check out all of that. Of course, if you're a member uh, paying $5 a month, you get ad free content, you get bonus content, you're supporting this podcast. Uh, This will probably come out after the strike has ended, but if you're doing that during the strike, 25% of all the money I get is going to the strike fund. So, another great reason to support. Uh, So, I have myself, my two wonderful guests, members, stick around, but for everyone else, we have spoken.